Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers of Milisanda for The Accidental Aliens. And I'm Keith Foster. I am the writer of the comic Kadoja and the upcoming comic Three Protectors. It is blazing hot down here in San Diego. It is averaging 85 for the rest of this week, and day, today was day one. And man, I got to tell you, it is not pleasant. So I understand yeah. there's people out there from different places where 85 is nothing in comparison. But when you're from a place where the weather is perfect, um, 85 is pretty brutal. So it's yeah. usually about 70 to 75. So even just a 10, 10 degree increase is, is uh, pretty rough. And so today I am going to be having dun, 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 a actual White Claw. Um, what? And it is tan- yeah, right? I'm going off brand. Oh, I, uh, oh my god! I know I, it feels dirty, but uh, I'm interested because this is a tangerine flavor. I haven't had tangerine in a while, so I'm a little excited. How about you? You what do you what are you rocking today? First of all, okay, a couple things. First of all, that feels highfalutin. I can't believe that you went brand name White Claw. It's like your my mind is sort of blown right now. Um, the second thing is that for people that are not familiar with kind of what the San Diego slash you know beach city lifestyle is um here in la the 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 thing is scott does not have central air it is it is not it is very normal for any building apartment condo anything within about seven to ten miles of the of the ocean to not have any air my parents live in a retirement community about five miles inland and they do not have air conditioning except for in window units Right. Like that's kind of the way that that works where I am. I'm all the way inland. It got up to 100 today where I am, but we're used to it. And everybody has central air here. So, yes, summer is kind of making one final vampire raise from the coffin before we put the stake in its heart. And uh, it's it's making itself felt. But, uh, yeah, I think in your case, you just you don't have AC, you know, which makes it 100 times worse. And it's, it's brutal because I, since we're recording the podcast, I can't turn the fan on in my room because it's going to create this weird uh, vacuum wah, wah, wah sound on the recording. And yeah. we can't have that for the people out there. And so I'm on the second floor of my place. And so I'm definitely sweating my balls off. Now, that's just a sacrifice for quality podcasting. You know what I mean? It's, it's what I got to do. I, I, I drink. Do. I drink. I drink to you. I'm about to drink to you. And what I did was oh. I went... I went big, big AV, ABV today, suckers. Hold it. Let me, did, did, did you get the photo? Do I need to pause for the photo again? Got it. Okay. Uh, big AVB, ABV. Wow, it's already hitting me, apparently. I am drinking a beer <laughs> called Regime that is part of the G.I. Joe series from a, a often-mentioned brewery, Adroit Theory who first got me into a hazy IPAs. I think what they do is sometimes they just get a cool recipe for hazy IPAs. They switch up a little thing and then they do about a series of six or so. So they've done a bunch of these um, that have this cool kind of like oh. obey style can, you know, the, the famous shepherd fairy um, or hope, you know, um, kind of idea there. And they call it, it's called regime and it's got some killer G.I. Joe uh, iconography going. Sepentor. You got Sepentor on that can. Okay. Okay. See, I don't even listen to, I don't even watch G.I. Joe. I just know that that looks badass. More importantly, Scott, it's 10.1. It's 10.1. Wow. 
Yeah. Going hard in the paint. Hard oh, in the paint. Right. Okay. <laughs> That's it, man. We we all yeah. know how great the podcasts are when I rock anything over nine. So I, I just They go wait. amazing. Yeah. Best, I'm pretty best excited. podcast ever. And it's so hot that I brought two seltzers. So the second can is just going to be my standard Kirkland brand hard seltzer. And uh, it's going to be a black cherry. So I'll be okay. up to the 10% as well. Um, and I, <laughs> I need it. I need it. it it's okay. Undying. So yeah. anyway, I did the intro, so that means you're rocking the first first thing of the week. What do you got going on, my friend? I technically have three things if you want to parse them out, but I, what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to present them in two segments because you'll see. So, so the first thing I, I want to preface with this week is I did not do a lot involving making comics. Um, what I did was a lot of stuff surrounding making comics because – Often when you make comics, you contribute to comics, whatever, you have some curveballs thrown at you. Um, some of this is planning and some of it is curveballs. So we're going to talk about one thing that's planning, which is going to be um, this segment. And then we're going to talk about curveballs, which is the next segment. So the, the planning is that we are sitting here in, in late September and I have a couple shows coming up. I have the uh, San Diego Metal Swap Meet, although I still need to confirm that I am doing that. That is a few short weeks away. And then I have Emerald City, which is in early December. Now, that seems far away, but when it comes to the kind of planning you need to do sometimes, um, it's not as far away as you think. So I am, you know, bu buoyed by the strong performance in Rose City Comic Con in Portland a couple weeks ago. I want to make sure that the table is in ship shape for Emerald City. And so one of the things is I've been going with the So there's a couple things I want to talk about within this. The first thing is changing my backdrop. The the what I used to do is I used to have those pull-up tension banners where I'd put Kadoja and then I'd put you know, a, you know, some kind of monster from the Kadoja arc on it. Um, but those, those tension banners, inevitably it slips out of my hand one time and then it goes, and then all the tension's gone and I'm not smart enough to fix it. So it's basically broken. So instead what I've done is, and, and also it's pretty heavy to carry on airplanes and things like that. So what I did was I went to a photography backdrop where I drape a black, um, tablecloth like a polyester tablecloth over it and then i use magnets to put up uh, a small kadoja banner and then a bunch of art that is for sale so it just kind of looks like an artist's wall it's it's not perfect but i think it works and the black backdrop definitely works but i think it's time for me to go back to a big banner again and the thing i'm going to do is i'm going to get a banner ordered and this is a good cost effective thing it's not only cost effective, it's also like travel effective uh, for the time for those people out there that ha that don't do this, that um, that travel all around for shows and it's not all local or all car, like it's it's you're flying. And, and what I like about it is I use the photography backdrop that is very portable and very easy. It doesn't even count as a carry on. No one I've, I've never gotten on a plane where they specifically count that as either a carry on or a personal item. I've walked on planes with a carry-on bag, my backpack, and this thing slung over my shoulder. It's just a very small, you know, two and a half foot long collection of a couple metal, you know, extenda poles. And um, no one ever checks me on it, you know, which is great. Is that about the size of a, um, like a, a poster tube, I would say, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 uh, it's not much bigger than a poster tube. Exactly. And uh, so that's, it's very portable. It's very light. And again... It doesn't necessarily fit in a lot of luggage, but airlines generally do not. I have not had it count as a carry-on yet. 
Um, and then what you can do is uh, a smart way to be like travel safe. And, you know, you pick up these tips over the years is you get vinyl banners or ideally you get like pure polyester banners. And the reason polyester is the best is because it's just so like you can throw that in any combination. And when it unfolds, you barely see any wrinkles. That's what's so cool about it. I think that's the material. I can always look it up and confirm later. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a banner made. Um, and that banner is going to be a larger banner. I'm probably going to go with about a six by four. And then um, I'm going to get, uh, what's it called? I think it's grommets on the corners. And then I'll be able to use that same camera backdrop I have, get like a shower curtain hook or those chintzy hooks that they use at all of the trade shows to hook up to hook up like signs and things. And then I'm just going to drop the banner from there. So it's very portable. And I think it's going to be pretty cool. So I'm going to be working on that um, over the next week or two, get the order in and then wait for it to show up and then and uh, hope that, you know, my plan works as well as I think it does. So that's kind of that's kind of the first part of this part. And then the other part, the larger thing that that kind of spurs on is this is a time of of let's call it rebranding for me, because longtime listeners of, po of the podcast will know that I really only have one thing to say I do. I write Kadoja. I've written Kadoja. You know, I've written 14, 15 technically issues of Kadoja, and there are more coming. Um, but, you know, when Scott talks, Scott has two properties. And so what I, what I have done for a very long time is my identity is my product. So Keith is Kadoja. You know, there's no Keith outside of Kadoja. But as I move to property after property, what it needs to start being is it needs to start being about Keith Foster, the person who writes multiple things. And so... The reason I mention that went in relation to this banner is this banner is going to have a big picture of Kadoja on it. It's actually going to use the volume three cover that you can buy in your comic shop. It's basically like a dead on look of this sinister pterodactyl looking thing. Right. And I'm going to make that oh, huge. Yeah. But then I'm going to put Keith R. Foster dot com on the top of it and maybe something else. Writer. I don't know. You know, I, I haven't thought that through. But most importantly, the prominent thing is not necessarily going to be Kadoja anymore. In fact, I don't think the word Kadoja is going to show up on this banner on this display. It's going to be all about KeithRFoster.com because that's what it's time to start doing now. You know, I have to be identifiable as the writer because Kadoja is not going to last forever. And I want people to follow me from property to property. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that's something I learned from J. Scott Campbell, uh, just looking at his business model and what he did. Uh, we are brands um, as as creators. You know, you are your own brand, so you want to have that be the representation online as opposed to a single single property. Um, and yep. so, yeah, it's a great move on your end. Remember when you used to bring a giant cardboard cutout of Kadoja and like a yeah. city? Imagine yeah. trying to carry that shit on an airplane. I have that in my garage still. I folded it the wrong way once, so it needs like poles and shit to be able to even stand up anymore. But I have that tucked away in the garage for prosperity. And then to your point, I have like kind of a building backdrop and some some buildings that uh, Kyle Yount of the Kaiju cast made um, and with some other people and we use that every now and then when we still do Rose City we had like a little oh, nice. cityscape that you could take a photo in a couple of years ago where you could pretend you were kind of like stomping around the city it went over well and we still have those buildings somewhere I'm sure but that ain't fitting on a fucking plane either <laughs> yeah yeah no yeah exactly right yeah um, anyway so that was my first thing um, how about you man Okay, so I'm going to do a little bit of a Keith Foster here. I am flip-flopping on what I'm going to do for Drawtober. Uh, so last yeah. week I talked about the new project that I was going to tackle, and I am very excited about that character and doing a story with that character. But 
while I was thun thumbnailing out that story, what I found was that story is a lot more involved than a Drawtober event. So when I do Drawtober, it's usually just a fun project. It's a uh, you know, usually a fight scene, it's something action-packed, something visually stimulating for the audience, something that they'll just look at and just be entertained the entire time. This story, it, the, the story with this new character, it obviously is interesting, but it isn't, it isn't a daily, a daily blog of, of, uh, you know, a story. And, and so what I did last year, um, it was a fight scene, so every day you were getting a different movement, and uh, I find that to be interesting in, in like uh, this particular media. But this story is not it. So I'm actually going back to the previous story that I was going to do, and honestly, I started thumbnailing it last night, and it's going swimmingly. Uh, I'm all the way up to pay or day 12, so I'm moving right along. I'm almost halfway done plotting the whole thing out. So I'm going back to that. I've actually talked to Ed about it, and uh, we're actually going to collaborate on this one last year. Uh, it was just me. I did all the dialogue and, and everything like that. I, I asked Ed some questions here and there, so he got like a, you know, like a writing assist or something type credit. And uh, uh, But beyond that, I, I did all the writing and, and the choreographing of everything. So this one, we're actually doing Marvel Method. So I'm going to basically do the whole story. And I'm going to say, this is what I was thinking. And then he's just going to do the script right on top of it. So he's okay. going to put the story on top and, and, uh, we're going to see how that works. He's, I was telling him what I was doing. I'm sharing ideas with him and he's like, you know what? This actually fits perfectly with this other issue. And you know, the day goes on, we're, we're talking about stuff and he goes, man, I just, I just can't get how much this just dovetails into this other issue. And I said, oh, I'll tell you what. Um, and that's when we agreed upon the Marvel method. I was like, let's do this Marvel method. You can, you can write the story on top of whatever I draw and then any kind of details you want to put in, uh, uh, do it, you know, just so it fits seamlessly into the, the overall story, you know, let's just do it that way. So, so that's what we're doing with this. Um, honestly, I'm kind of a little more excited about it now than I was with the new character. The new character was super cool and I'm, I'm very interested in that, but, uh, thumbnailing this out and seeing how fast I'm doing it, it just kind of reminds me what I loved about last year's project. I would not necessarily classify that as a good old-fashioned Keith Foster flip-flop. However, you know, well, here's why I say that, because I did one of these flip-flops, but I don't think of it that way. I think of it as like, you know, like, I can't remember what it was, but there was one episode, maybe, you know, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 episodes ago, where something came up and I remember catching lightning with it. And I remember talking about it sort of vaguely on the podcast and saying, I think that this idea is going to be a big idea that I run with. Well, it turns out that it wasn't. It turns out that it was very much like the flavor of the day. I was enamored with it like that day. And then three days later, I realized that it wouldn't work. You know, so I think this is more of a timing thing. I get the feeling that if we recorded podcasts on every Sunday instead of, let's say, the Tuesday or Wednesday time frame we do or recorded on every Friday, you would have entirely missed this cycle. You basically sort of got enamored with the character and then fell out of enamor with it within the same week. It just so happened that we recorded at a, at a time where you brought it up and you were like, man, I think this is really where the heat is. Turns out it was just more of a passing fancy. Right. And, and that kind of thing happens a lot. That and and it's the debut of the character. 
So that's that's another issue with the Drawtober event. It's like, well, I'm basically rushing the debut of this character, which I can use in future stories, and, and me and Ed have already talked about. Like, this right. character can fit into other other storylines. So it's just like, okay, I, I do want to do it, um, but I think this would be better served for another year where that character is right. already established. Get his origin, you know, get the fan base... Um, used to the character, you know, get to like the character, and then do a Drawtober event with him. Because what this character yes. does specifically would be very cool for this event. So right. so it might be something I can do next year, but uh, just not this year. Exactly. And then, like, in, an, in a Drawtober or two, that's when. That's when you have him go to the alien planet. You have him get his new quote-unquote costume, and then it turns out that it's not really a costume at all. It's an evil alien mm-hmm. symbiote. Right, like exactly. That's exactly that's right. when you do that. Yeah, that's you don't do that. Did, did I already talk to you about this? How'd you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe we're just in harmony, and we just both had the same amazing, one hundred percent original idea. That's right. As you rock the Secret Wars T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I just said one hundred percent original. One hundred percent original. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> And that reminds me of something that I think is pretty interesting. I was uh, in, in my spare time at lunch. I'm reading a book um, on Prince. And what it is, is it's a detailed account of his studio sessions. Fun, weird Prince fact. Uh, Purple Rain, the song, is modeled on Faithfully by Journey. It turns out that the chord changes are similar. And they were similar enough to where Prince called Journey and basically said, Hey, I just wrote a song called Purple Rain. You know, it has a lot of faithfully in it, but I just want to make sure that you understand that it's not really the same thing. And then they they cut to like an interview with Journey and they're like, yeah, he just wanted to make sure we didn't want to sue him. (laughs) You know, like that kind of thing. (laughs) But it was hilarious because then apparently one of the guys in Journey recounts this story how Journey, they're just sitting around and they're like, yeah, I mean, it sounds sort of similar, but like, like this is the most flattering thing in the world, right? Like Prince heard this song right. and he wanted to write something like, I'm cool with it. And then everybody in Journey was like, we're all cool with it. Let's do, you know, let him do it. You know, that kind of thing. And then yeah, Purple yeah. Rain was born, you know, so pretty, pretty fun stuff. That's awesome. Uh, anyway, so idea number two, thing number two that I, that I did for the week. So what happened was, again, just a tiny little bit of work that, that jumps this off. I got the notes back from Will on uh, on Secret Wars, on Kadoja Volume 4, Number 1. And so he read through the script. He's ready to do some thumbnails. I did go ahead and put the script out to Mike because I wanted Mike to take a look at it as well. And, uh, and Will had some questions, good artist questions. He asked some really amazing questions. He's been keeping me afloat, um, or at least informed, of the fact that he has some other projects going on. So, so Will Perkins is a talented dude. He has done other things, and two of the things he has done, he did a book called Gregory's Suicide with Eric Grissom um, on Dark Horse. It's a, it's a really good book. And he also just had a book come out with Eric, that, t- that team again, called Goblin. And it turns out that it's, they're both Dark Horse properties. He wanted, um, Dark Horse wants to go with the Goblin too. So that means Will is going to be working on Goblin too, which means he only has time to do Kadoja Volume 4, Number 1. He technically may have time to come back for number four, but uh, but the bottom line is if I find another artist for issues two and three, we'll have to see how that works. So that was a bummer, but uh, I'm thrilled for Will and that you know the the book got renewed for a second one and that he can keep pursuing his his comic dreams through through Dark Horse. But uh, in the meantime, so he's doing Kadoja Volume Four Number One, and it means that I ended up spending a fair amount of time going through the artist contacts I have and bouncing them back and forth with Lance Pilgrim on 
who we should try to get to take the reins on Kadoja Volume 4. So uh, nothing is set in stone. I've narrowed it down to a few people, and there's no guarantee they even want to do the work. But at some point, I'll be contacting artists again. So, you know, this just goes into the overlying theory of the week, right? Like, I've, I've gone through two pretty involved things so far, and very little of it had to do with actually making a comic. A lot of it had to do with, you know, promoting yourself, branding yourself, selling yourself at conventions, making sure you have the right product at conventions, and sometimes tracking down somebody to collaborate with or to be for hire on your property. So hopefully I'll have some good news in the coming weeks, months, whatever. I'm not really in a hurry. And uh, the artist hunt is on to uh, to get somebody out there to draw Kadoja Volume Four. So we'll see where it goes and, uh, and and take it as it comes. Yeah, this is a so this is another tale for all you writers out there. This is stuff you're going to have to deal with. You know, you, one minute you have someone locked in, you think you're good to go, and uh, something comes up. You know, whether whether it's they had a, another opportunity or they just don't have the time or just they just you know realize that they're not going to be able to do it. So whatever whatever the case is, you know, this is something you get to look forward to, if that's the right term. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And perhaps I was so spoiled with uh, Kadoja, the first two volumes, because the first two volumes were written, or were, sorry, penciled and inked by Rory Smith. And then since then, it's been, you know, I had one team of artists, well, I had a couple teams of artists that made some made some panels and pages that went nowhere, because I got a few pages back and I was just like, this isn't going to work. We're not going to go with this. So I had a lot of stop starts in volume three. Finally got an artistic team for the first three issues. But then that artistic team kind of moved out of the picture. And now and then I've had Will for a few issues. And now we're going to move on to something else. So, you know, as as a writer, the only thing I'm concerned with is, are, is it going to take people out of the story if the artist changes? And, uh, I'm you know, I'm happy. generally the answer is no. You know, um other books change artists all the time. You know, the big two, Marvel and DC, they change artists and writers all the time on stuff. There are plenty of issues where they switch up artists from, from page to page. Um, so it's not that unusual. So I think comic fans are pretty used to it. And I'm happy to say that the feedback to volume three has been, you know, pretty good so far, which is actually uniformly good so far, which is great. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of underselling it there. So, you know, that means that that wasn't that big a deal to people. And I'm happy for that. You know, one artistic team works a certain way and another another artistic team works another way. So onward we go. And to your point, this is this is part of being in indie comics. Because sometimes people are dope and they end up going on to other things. And uh, and you've served as like a nice thing for them to move on. And, you know, that's that's the point, right? We're all trying to get somewhere. So, uh, so yeah, yeah. Keep doing it. Even in the big two, it happens all the time. You know, like you'll have those, those storylines. You have uh, this killer artist on it. And all of a sudden, they're just not available anymore. They're like, they can't hit the deadline. So what happens? The editors jump in there and they get a fill-in team. And... Uh, you know, it is what it is. It happens yeah. all the time on the indies and and in the big two. Yeah, one of my favorite comics of all time, and Ed is going to know the one I'm talking about, and other people might too, but I know Ed will. The Immortal Iron Fist number seven is an absolutely wonderful standalone story. Now, I have no idea if that was a fill-in team or if it just happened at the end of an arc, which ended at issue six. You know, like, the question is, when they ended it at issue six, did they plan on going to the next arc at issue seven, miss the deadline, and quick crank out a fill-in, or was this part of the plan all along? But Immortal Iron Fist number seven is just a delightful, you know, nice little romantic tale of a, of a past Iron Fist. So um, I imagine that that's a pretty cheap book for people to uh, pick up. So if you happen to be in a comic shop one day and that 
you know, hopefully that little that scratches a little itch in the back of your head and you're like, I should check this out. It's a wonderful little standalone story. And there are plenty of others like that where you just get these great one shots because somebody couldn't make a deadline. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, okay, so my second thing, uh, I got in contact with my printer finally, thank goodness. Um, there was a couple of start stops there. I had texted him about uh, getting rolling with the printing of the rest of the books. And um, then I emailed him all of the files and uh, didn't hear anything back. So a couple days go by and I text him, hey, I you know, sent you the, the emails a couple of days ago. Just wondering if you got them, just let me know. Uh, I didn't hear back for a day, then heard back the next day, thank goodness. And uh, he said, I'm sorry, I just had some stuff going on, something about uh, FedEx or UPS or something like that. He had some issue going on, some books got lost, and then he had to reprint a whole print runs or something like something like that. Everything is good. Um, he asked me if I do have a deadline, and that deadline, I said can you get them to me by October 1st? In which he said he can, no problem. So I will be hopefully receiving all those books by October 1st. And then as soon as I get those in, I will contact the Kickstarter backers and let them know that this stuff is on their way to them. Uh, what what I was hoping that you were uh, that you were going to say is, you know, yeah, he uh, like the, the guy, the person comes back to me and says, I don't know, I didn't have that great, great a week, you know, and it was it like, like something about murder trial. God damn it. I see this fucking internet man's killing me cuz I was like whatever you're talking about seems super entertaining and I'm missing all of it. <laughs> I don't know what you just said. <laughs> That's fine. I'm leaving it in. I'm leaving it in without your reaction. I'm putting this reaction in it actually. <laughs> Excellent. I can't wait to hear it uh, <laughs> when you listen back. Live you on listen the air. Yeah, yeah exactly right. Back. That's fun. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. Did you have any third things? Because that's that's pretty much it for me. And if that is, then we can move on to our, our main topic for this episode. Yeah, man, that's it. I don't have anything that I could think of off the top of my head. It's been such a busy week. My girlfriend's uh, brother got married, so the weekend was was kind of nuts. Oh, I guess I guess one little thing I'll throw in before we hit our main topic. Um, I did a couple of more wrestling commissions. I had to draw some more figures, so that works rolling back in. Oh, uh, speaking of commissions, I got in contact with uh, the Mermaid Commission and uh, I got another project going he is we are working on the new commission and the layout but uh, that that's moving along and that's it it's pretty quick so nothing big there um, you know just the little things that you got to do as a independent artist as a freelancer or a contractor just to get some extra dough you got to do these side projects and uh, you know they keep that money flowing in so nothing wrong with that I, I man there I mean again I, I don't have the ability to just create money out of thin air like that and i've told you before man it's it's i wish i did i wish i did because we're going to talk about this later in the episode but i bought myself a, a grail which you know about oh, yeah. and we're going to talk mm -hmm. about here so you know the grail yes. financing has to come from other ways than you know i'll just take a couple commissions and i'll pay off this thing that's not how it works when you're a writer did you still want to do the book uh, book referral for this episode, or you want to save that for nah, the next episode? Nah, let's we'll, we'll kick that to next week for sure. Yeah, I was I was actually going to okay. mention that at the end. That let's let's do a couple. Let's do two books each next week, and then we can tack okay. that on to the end. Yeah, that'll be our bonus. You know, our our end of episode shit. That's perfect. Okay, so the big topic for this week. Correct me if I'm wrong. It is lettering. That that is the uh, the topic for this week. Yes, sir. It is lettering. This is fun because this is something both you and I can talk about. Yeah. Uh, I've done lettering, you've done lettering, so we both we both know what the fuck we're talking about. So, what is your process for for lettering? 
Yeah, I mean, let's let's go with kind of my journey on lettering. I think that's a fair way to put it. Because for the first 10 issues of Kadoja, Rory Smith did it all. He not only did pencils, inks, you know, all that, layouts, you know, the whole art. He also lettered the whole thing, right? So I didn't have to touch any of that shit. So when it came time where Rory stepped away and where all of a sudden here I am with number one, I'm with Kadoja Volume 3, where I'm going to need to do some of that lettering. And number two, I have three protectors, which has gone through all these revisions and still isn't right, you know? So because of that, I had to take on that lettering piece as well. Much like anything, what I did when I started doing lettering was simply mimic what's there. Rory had done lettering. All I did was mimic what was there. Um, When it comes to lettering, I think an important thing to mention up front is there are multiple styles to have lettering in, right? So for example, let's say like the the two that I'm thinking of um, offhand here are one, you can have the type of lettering where the, the word balloon, the balloon on the outside of the lettering is incredibly tight to the lettering, right? And you could have very like non-standard shapes where it almost looks like, and in some cases, it looks like the artist is just drawing a tight balloon around the letters. And in a lot of cases, that's probably what they're doing. Um, but then what you can also have is kind of like the standard shape lettering, where it looks like the things come from standard ellipses, standard circles, things like that, right? Where there's a very uniform, clean, symmetrical look to it. And what that means is there's going to be some white space when it comes to the lettering. So I, I happen to believe, Scott, that when it comes to you, you're more of the second school, right? Where it's more about symmetry, using standard shapes, and going from there. Um, because I learned quote unquote from two different people i learned from rory smith by just aping him and then i learned from eric grissom from all the feedback i got from him because he did some excellent letting on lettering on kadoja volume three um you know you you can kind of make each work to your advantage so uh, again i think it's it's Whatever you choose to do, you know, there, there's definitely a way that people favor more than, than not where, it, you know, standard shapes with some white space are generally a bit more accepted in the lettering world than if you try something with a lot of a tighter balloon, unstandard shapes, more of a drawn look, and it's just very tight around the wording. Um, if you want to see an example of that, then Kadoja Volume 1 and 2 are really, they're quite tightly lettered in terms of the balloons, right? Like Rory did the lettering and then did balloons very tight around it. So all I did for when I was first starting is I would just use Photoshop and kind of shrink and stretch and do all kinds of things to those word balloons and then put the lettering in. And then I learned as I went, you know, and you learn, you know, like I didn't, you know, it's funny because Scott's talked about tutorials and, and things like that before. I am like not a manual reader. I buy some new shit and I start fucking with it right away. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I don't read manuals. I don't do tutorials. I figure it out. And that tends to mean that I fuck up a lot or I do a lot of substandard shit, you know, or, or not substandard, but like unorthodox because I just follow my muse because fuck manuals. That's why. Right. So anyway, um, but, but the nice thing is by learning from Eric, it kind of taught me a standard way of lettering as well. And in the meantime, what I've been able to do is then develop what's my own lettering style, which I'm going to carry forward because I'm going to letter Kadoja volume four. And it's going to be a very standard type of lettering um, with a little bit more of maybe a 
little bit of a lean toward Rory style of of tighter but standard. Uh, what you just said totally reminded me. So uh, a couple of years ago, at this point, we were coming back from Phoenix Fan Fusion. While we were there, we started talking about Procreate and how you wanted to start creating some prints of your own. You wanted to learn how to use this program called called Procreate on the iPad. And uh, you got the iPad. We got back to your place. Got the iPad. You bought the application. And I was trying to show you tricks and how you do things. And instead of paying attention to me, you were just fucking with it. And I was like, hey, man, do you want do you want to pay attention to the things that I'm saying to you? And you're like, what? And I'm just like, what the fuck are we doing here? I thought we talked about this. I thought I was going right. to help you how to learn the program. Right. But you're just so busy trying to do it on your own. And I'm like... I, you don't you don't need to do that i'll, I'll show you all the the shortcuts and everything right. you're like right nah. <laughs> right it's just yeah i mean you you make a great point that's that's my that's just the way i am i just screw around with stuff and immediately start playing and start tinkering and sometimes it, it works well and sometimes it doesn't work well it sort of washes out in the end i think i did make one print actually when it was all said and done Make one print. I think I've sold two copies. Oh, really? Yeah, I think I've sold two copies of it. <laughs> and then after that, I was nice. like, I don't, I don't need this humiliation. So I've pulled it from my table since. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, you should send it to me. I want to see what it looks like. Oh, sure. I will. I will. There, there's probably a couple more schools of thought than the two, but those are definitely the two major ones. You kind of have the uh, chaotic indie style where kind of like anything goes. That's kind of more your style. Um, and where mine is more the traditional... Uh, you know, big two style lettering that you you'll see in most most superhero comic books. That's just something I grew up with and something I'm used to. Um, and I would say a third one. And honestly, I think this comes more from the fact that the books are translated. But you have the the lettering in manga, so you have the giant text bubble with barely any text in it, and the text the bubble mm. is just huge as fuck. So I think that's mostly from the uh, the translation from the kanji. Um, so, but then I have seen people do it intentionally. You know, it's like they're American creators and they're creating their own book and it might be mega influenced and they use that same style lettering. And so it's just over time, it's become an accepted form of lettering. Like visually, it's just something that appeals to them because that's what they grew up reading. They grew up reading yeah. uh, this manga translation with giant word bubbles with barely, barely any words in it. And it's just how they read comics or how they read uh, yeah. manga. Yeah, so that so that's another thing. Um, and like you said, there's definitely no wrong or right way like that, that indie style where you're kind of just haphazardly making shapes and like, you're showing the energy of this particular character, maybe they're more of a, a angry character, or it's a, some kind of demon or something. So the bubble isn't going to be conformed to a, a you know, standard standard lettering so uh standard form so so that's something to be expected and it's just it's something interesting um uh interesting enough i was looking through while i was doing my drawtober layouts for this year i went back to one of my issues and uh, tristan tristan whitehouse he's my current letterer he does like all of the uh, special effects lettering the um kind of like like i'll do the standard lettering which is just the dialogue for the most part there is a character that has their own particular word bubble and it's something that Tristan created and it's, it's super cool. And I was, I was looking at it and I was like, Oh man, I forgot that he had done that. I, I completely forgot. And so it was so interesting to see, you know, different, different styles of lettering in one of my books, you know? So, uh, it's very cool. 
and, and something that I have mentioned previously, but also uh, we want to re reiterate here is you can go onto YouTube and you can look up um, how to letter or comic book lettering. And guess what? You're going to get a video by Scott McCloud that teaches you how to letter. And it's super freaking cool. That's actually how I learned how to letter. So Keith learned from a, a previous creator that was on the book. He saw how Rory did it, and he he mimicked that, and that became his style. And then um, I learned mine by going on YouTube and watching how Scott McCloud did it. And honestly, I had seen two or three other videos prior to, to finding that one. And um, his was just so much easier than everyone else's. Like, these other videos were teaching you how to create the bubble um, from nothing. Like they wanted to show you how to use the pen tool to create the oval, whereas Scott McCloud's um, method was just so much easier. You use uh, the ellipse tool, you you select the, the circle, the oval, and then you can, uh, by picking a certain tool, uh, you can just click each side of the bubble and you can flatten each side a little bit, you can expand each side a little bit, and it's just that easy. You know, his style is just like, why are you making this harder than it needs to be? So that's something for you guys to definitely seek out, and uh, it'll help you so much. Like, it just, it cut down my lettering time by so much, and you can also create a sheet. So if you're going to work in Illustrator, that's that's the program I use. After you create these bubbles, you can just throw them onto a sheet, create a bunch of bubbles, create a bunch of tails, and then just save that file. So every time you need to create a new bubble, you basically have a template there that you can work off of. And that's going to cut your work time down in uh, by so, so much. Another part of the lettering that needs to be focused on is the text inside of the bubble. This is, this is huge. Check out as many comics as you can, um, depending on the style that you want to do. So for me, I like it. Uh, like I said, as close to the big two style lettering as possible. So you want to make the letters, the words inside the bubble, conform to that shape as much as possible. So usually your first line is probably going to be one to two words, depending on the word. If it's like, I am a, you could probably all fit that on the first line, you know, but if it's like, I'm exhausted, I'm is probably going to be on the top, exhausted is going to start on the second line. So that's something you're gonna need to look at. And, and, and you know, hopefully you understand what I'm saying. When you look at a comic book and listen back to this part, and hopefully you'll understand, but when that is not shaped to the bubble, um, two people that know how to letter, it stands out like a sore thumb. And and if you know the comics process, you're gonna see it every time. You're gonna be like, oh, that lettering's off, that lettering is off. And and it's all dependent on what you're doing. So if you're doing more of an indie style, something that's a little more chaotic and free form, and you're just you're doing your own shit, you'll be able to get away with a little more. But if you are trying to do more of a traditional uh, big two corporate comic style looking lettering, when that is off, people will know that is off and it's not intentional. Right, right. And you make a good point because one, I think it's the easiest skill to teach yourself. Um, it's the easiest way to save a few dollars. And uh, when I was listening back to last week's podcast, there's a specific moment where I say, I'm going to table this thought for next week. And we were talking about the idea of outsourcing something or doing it. Another option that tends to come around is you outsource it. I'm not going to say you outsource it with the intention of doing it, but you outsource it. And then in outsourcing it, you realize, wow, I could have done this. You know, and, and you, you learn a little bit more from the outsourcing of it, and that gives you the 
um, the confidence to proceed with actually doing it yourself, you know? So that's what I did, you know, like when it comes to Kadoja volume three, I did issue one. So people out there that have the comic of issue one, that was lettered by me in the old Rory way. When it comes to the trade paperback though, because Eric Grissom did issues two through four, I then had to go back and redo issue one in the method of issues two through four because the lettering had a more standard shape. That was number one. And number two, Eric did not italicize, right? Which whenever you look at any corporate comic, those those letters are generally italicized 100% of the time, especially Marvel and DC. You, you know, like look at those, understand that everything is generally italicized. So I had to go back and just unitalicize everything and just go to an unitalicized version of the font that I, um, that I said was my standard font when it came to Kadoja. So, um, so, you know, those kind of things, um, you know, add up when, when it comes to your stuff, but then you get confidence because you realize like, Oh, wow. You know, it turns out that I wasn't that off at all, or or this is the way that I can do it. And uh, so sometimes the interesting thing about outsourcing stuff to kind of tie this back to last week's episode is by outsourcing it, you realize that you can do it and you, you gain confidence in the fact that you can do it or you learn a few tips just through osmosis that allow you to do it going forward. Yeah, and, and this also goes back to something we talk about consistency. So no matter how you're doing something, just make sure it's consistent all the way through. So Keith wanted to make sure that issue one matched for the trade. You know, in a single issue, he can get away with it. But when you put it in that collection, everyone's going to notice that. Well, people that pay attention to lettering. And and uh, more importantly, you'll notice it. Yeah. And, <laughs> again, and uh, you know, it's at the end of the day, you want to be happy with your own product. So if changing that helps you plus those people that notice that type of thing, you know, definitely, definitely take that into account and uh, make that change. You know, talking about this makes me realize that for Kadoja volume four, I should probably move back to the italicized thing because when it comes time to do the Kadoja omnibus, I'm going to have to re-letter everything again, right? Like I'm going to uh, have to yep. make sure that there's standard lettering through all of the entirety of the book, but that's years down the road, and I will worry about that then because that's that's legit the only thing I'll really have to do when it comes time to make the omnibus complete story of Kadoja all in one, right? But years from now, years from now, party people. Yeah, same with me, um, and that's something I know. But honestly, over the years, the more lettering that I've done on my own, the more I notice the mistakes I've made in previous uh, issues. So I know when I do that hardcover, uh, I am going to have to go back through all of the issues and re-letter a lot of things. But honestly, me and Ed have talked about it. We want to do some tweaking, you know, and and so it's not going to really matter anyway. That stuff's going to be adjusted, and uh, it's not a big deal. And honestly, uh, I'm pretty excited about it. Every single one of these issues, any, every single one of these hardcovers, trade paperbacks, they're going to have their own flavor to it, you know? If you were part of the original people who were picking up Second Shift uh, from issue one, you're going to have that single issue, and you're going to look at the reprint. Uh, I'm doing a reprint of the issue one. I've changed some of the lettering. I changed some of the vocabulary on there. Something's going to be different. You can look between those two and see what's different. And then when I, and in the trade, it's actually going to be the original version of it. But when you go to the hardcover, 
it, honestly, the first five pages might be completely different. I might redraw those whole first five pages. We'll see. So the dialogue is going to be completely different. So the fun fact, or the fun part of it is going to seeing what's different between all of these issues. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you make an interesting point. You know, you're, you're giving me a note and I'm not saying I'm going to do this anytime soon, but what I am interested in doing all of a sudden now is going back and looking at specifically Cerebus by Dave Sim and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles by Eastman and Laird. Because I would like to see when it comes to, I mean, I'm sure I can look up a digital version of like the original copies online. And then what I'd like For to sure. do is I'd like, I'd like to compare that to like reprints, artist editions, you know, like trade number one collections to see if those guys, indie gods, decided to go back and do relettering or if they went as is. So I think that'd be a fun experiment because if those, you know, whatever those guys do in terms of indie books, you should probably do, or, or you should, you know, you should take that as a cue. So um, I'm going to take that as some homework the next time I happen to have access to that kind of shit. Yeah. And I know Tomo fucks with all of his stuff. Like every time he redid something, every time he reprinted something, he said, hold on, hold on. Cause he wanted to adjust something. And there's something about that. I just really love. And, and it's just, Going and finding all of this shit and going like, okay, what did he change? Like, oh, he, you know, and we've talked about this. It's like, oh, he didn't like that. Why didn't he like that? You know what I mean? And that's just so interesting in itself. It, it kind of makes it a mm -hmm. fun little game out of it. Yeah, totally. Totally. All right, man. I think we, uh, I think we did a, a pretty good job on the lettering. Uh, you got anything else before we move on to uh, uh, the Grail main event uh, that I want to hear about? The Grail main event. No, I'm ready for the Grail main event. All right, man. Let's do that. So, uh, yeah, we're going to – so we've done the comics process, the making comics process of this episode. So now we're going to nerd out. We're going to talk about us being comic fans. And uh, Keith just uh, scored on something that uh, he wants to share with the world. Yeah, man. So, uh, again, very astute listeners will know, will know that I hinted at this a while ago, right? I specifically remember calling out that there was a thing that was kind of like my, oh, my God, I hope I get this book someday book. And uh, I guess, hey, we're in that spot now. We can say what it is. It's Fantastic Four number 49. It is the first appearance of Galactus. It is a bit, you know, like it is, it is a big deal, right? So... You know, there's there's a couple reasons. There, there's plenty of reasons why anyone could want this book. The reason I want this book is because Galactus, to me, by far, is the most Lovecraftian thing in the Marvel or DC universe. You know, you can make the argument that Darkseid is the equivalent of this in the DC universe, which, by the way, Jack Kirby, right? Common thread there. Like, and again, I've, I've read my fair share of Kirby collectors, right? Like I, I try to grab a bunch of issues of Kirby collectors. If you're a Kirby enthusiast, I, I think it is an amazing book to get some insight into, into the master. Right. But, um, so Kirby kind of had this elder gods thing going on, you know, through, through a lot of his work. And so Galactus has a very elder gods vibe, especially when you think about some of the treatments that Galactus has had. He had a, there's a really cool, um, run or series done by Grant Morrison, I think, uh, about like the coming of Galactus. And it really dialed into like this cosmic horror element of Galactus in a great way. Anyway. So that is a book that's been on my list for a while. I've been looking at it for a while. Again, I think I've made overtures on the podcast that, you know, with my 50th birthday behind me, 
I I had really been searching for this thing. I wanted there to be this thing where no matter what for the rest of my life, I could look at that and say, yeah, that's the silly thing I treated myself to on my 50th birthday. You know what I mean? Like, that's my 50th birthday right there. And so I decided, um, you know, after a lot of thought that I wanted Fantastic 49, Fantastic Four 49 to be that thing. So I'm, I'm going to, Scott, I'm going to ask you to participate in some of this stuff too, because uh, Scott's been an excellent coach because, you know, he has some, some great grails of his own. And uh, so Scott was coaching me through some of the Fantastic Four stuff. And, uh, and, but, but then there was a period over the last couple of weeks where I had kind of kept him out of touch. And that's because I started looking at Fantastic Fours about two, three months ago. And in doing that, you would be shocked at how the value of that thing has skyrocketed over the last two to three months. Now, I happen to think the reason for this skyrocketing is simple speculation, is that anybody familiar with the Marvel Universe knows that the obvious next mega villain that Marvel could make three years of movies out of is Galactus, right? Like, it's it's all, it's essentially the one thing that you can do to outdo Infinity Gauntlet. You know, like there, there aren't a lot of levels up from Infinity Gauntlet. Galactus coming is absolutely one of them, right? So because of that, nerds out there like me have, you know, rallied around Fantastic Four 49, the first appearance of Galactus. So I had been eyeing the price, but I hadn't been able to afford it because, you know, birthday money needed to come in. I needed to sell some things from my personal collection. And uh, so then we get to my birthday, you know, people are very, very kind and give me some, some money for my birthday. I've got some money. I sell some things and I've got a pretty nice budget to go grab a low grade version of Fantastic 449. So the problem is the price of that low grade comic just skyrocketed over the two months that I was waiting. So um, by, by waiting, I missed out on a, a copy that I could have gotten had I simply acted on it back then. So... In the meantime, I, I had kind of found an alternate thing and I'd kind of tried to process it. And so right after we recorded this last week, I tell Scott, I'm like, so we, we stop recording and we start chopping it up. And I just say, hey, man, I forgot to catch up on Fantastic 449. So I say, hey, I'm, I'm doing this. But like I, what I think is I don't think I want to go after the comic anymore. Th- there's this limited edition print. It's four feet by two and a half feet. And it's signed by Stan Lee. And it's, it's, it's expensive, but what's cool about it is you pay a fair amount of money and you get this massive fucking thing. And you, you know, no matter what, for the rest of your life, you can walk in your, your room and be like, God damn, that is a big thing. And that's the thing I got myself. Right. So I'm going to let you pick it up with what you told me from there. Go ahead. I'd like you to paraphrase it if you want. What the fuck? Are you crazy? No, just kidding. (laughs) I I definitely didn't say that. Um, so the the price tag on that was was substantial. Um, it obviously isn't the same exact price of Fantastic Four forty nine, but honestly, the price difference uh, in my estimation was wasn't enough to not just go after the book. So as as someone who is a, an insane comic collector and justifies crazy things like purchasing you know X Men number one, uh, you know from nineteen sixty three, like. Like, I'm going to justify this to Keith. And and my justification is I bought X-Men number one for uh, signed by Stanley, graded. It's very low. It's a 2.0. I bought it for $3,350. I was uh, One day it came up on auction. 
I was willing to spend $4,500. I, I just finished paying my car off. I said to myself, what can I live with on a credit card payment of getting X-Men number one signed by Stanley? And at this point in time, Stanley had just passed away, I think two months prior, a month or two prior. And uh, on average, X-Men number one around that grade was going for about $7,000. Prior to him dying, it was going for $5,000. So as soon as he passed, it shot up two Gs. So I said to myself, I'll never get it for this much, but I could live with myself paying $4,500. So um, I got it for $3,350, which was insane to me because it was essentially half of the going rate and... Uh, a thousand uh, six hundred and fifty cheaper than before he had passed. So it, it mm -hmm. just blew my mind and my justification to Keith on actually picking up the book, which was uh, more expensive than the than the gigantic poster, which sounded awesome. Don't get me wrong, it sounded awesome. The justification is that that three thousand three hundred and fifty dollar comic is now a twenty thousand dollar comic, and that Fantastic Four forty nine will always be Galactus's first appearance. That poster is just a reproduction of Galactus's first appearance. Yep. It may never, ever go up in price, you know, regardless if he did want to sell it or not. You know, if it's just something he wanted to keep for the rest of his life, you know, maybe, maybe something comes up. Maybe he goes, hey, you know what? This part of my life is done. I don't want this poster anymore. You know, like you get what you get for it. But at the end of the day, you'll always be able to get way more for that Galactus first appearance. So, uh, yes. you know, I'm I'm happy I was able to persuade you to swing you back to uh, the comic good graces and get that issue. I'm so happy you got it. Uh, another thing, as far as Galactus goes, honestly, I think it's also part of the Eternals. I think the debut of the Eternals movie is what's also persuading people and making people think the speculation is going towards Galactus because the Eternals, they're going to bring, you're going to deal with Celestials, you know, and we already have had nowhere the, the severed head of a, a celestial. So I think the logical conclusion is after you deal with these celestials, the ultimate celestial would be Galactus, right? Like, I don't think yeah. he is a celestial. He's his own thing. But it kind of falls in line with those elements. The postscript there. Like, so Scott sort of jumped to the fact he, he went from persuaded me to I got the comic. And I want to go ahead and parse out just a little bit of that. Because, you know, if you've listened this long, you're probably okay with us going a little bit more, right? So, right. so we love talking comics. Yeah, we're just talking comics, man. We're actually having fun talking about a good collector thing, right? So, um, so, so Scott says that to me and immediately like, so, you know, the, the, the podcast, we, we stop talking, we, we get on with our lives. And then I, I, I mentioned it to my wife, like, like an hour later. When she comes home, you know, because she's doing doing hula practice, and and she's like, "Oh, well, that's weird. Like, why are you changing the thing?" And I just I lay out all the reasons, right? And she's like, "Well, that's pretty strong, right?" So here's here's the thing too. Like, I need to convey this to people. Okay, it's not that Scott just persuaded me. It's that like you know you said this phrase a couple weeks ago. It's that it's that we're sitting here talking, and again, Scott's giving you screenshots of like us holding our beers, right? So I want you to picture what this is like on FaceTime. This motherfucker is talking to me, and all of a sudden he's like, "Take X Men number one." I got this X Men number one right here, and he's like waving the shit in my <laughs> face, like Mister Big Nuts. That thing was a two point and that even if it's even if the grade you wanted has priced itself out, a lower grade is still fun. 
because a lower grade means that there's like a chunk missing out of the corner. But Scott's exact words, I think, were, you learn to love that missing chunk. It becomes part of the character. You know, like, this is history. You're looking at a piece of history. To his point, it'll always be Galactus's first appearance. And when you look at all these dog ears and shit corners missing and stuff, you realize that that's a comic that's been loved for a very long time. You know, so... When he said that, and then he's sitting there just waving it in my face, like nonchalant, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm just like, just so you know, I then proceeded to tell that, that I, I, I justified it to my wife. I justified it to my youngest kid who's here all the time. I even talked about it to a coworker. And in every example, I mentioned how badass it was that this dude just pulls a comic off the shelf encased in Lucite and he's waving it around like it's fucking like baton. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm just like, that is so fucking cool. Like, and I was just like, I want to be that dude. I want to be able to pull a comic off my shelf and just wave it in a person's face on a fucking FaceTime. <laughs> you know what I mean? So <laughs> just flex, flex on him a just, little bit. <laughs> it was just, it, dude, it was a pure flex and I loved it. And it like, it, it, it brought everything home, you know? And, and then also the fact that like, Dude, a four foot by two and a half foot poster is a pain in the ass. You know, like, can you imagine? Mm -hmm. And that's what we were talking about. Like, how much is it going to cost to frame? How much is, Mm -hmm. how much of a pain in the ass for the rest of your life is it going to be to transport? What opportunity cost is it taking away from all these posters I have on my walls? You know, I'd have to devote an entire fucking wall to just that one thing. So anyway, so that cinched it. I immediately started looking for stuff and then I just used Scott to consult in the background. So... You know, to, to fast forward, yes, I got the comic, but a couple fun things about the auction were it was up and I was like immediately the, what what the person did was they had just posted a photo and I saw the cover of the photo and I had sent this. I had sent a couple auctions to Scott and Scott was like, "Ooh, that one looks good. And that was immediately the one I thought looked good. And I'm like, "Ooh, that's a pretty nice looking copy. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. yep. you know, if you know your CGC grades, I would estimate it at at least a four. Right. And uh, so at the moment, what had happened was it was only a four. It was only a four. Uh, well, it was only a cover. I'm sorry. And so because of that, you know, like when you're bidding on eBay, something that you can do, you've got to be willing to take this risk. But when you feel like something is either underdescribed or underrepresented in photographs, that is an opportunity for you. You know, what, what you're hoping is people aren't as hip to it and you're just going to take a chance on it and you might get a steal. You might get a comic that's two grades better than you think because someone just didn't know how to put up photos or they described it wrong. You know, like I just got a similar comic where the person didn't even describe a particular, I guess I'll just mention it. I got a really great price on a secret wars number one because the person forgot to mention that it was the blue, blue Galactus variant. Well, that jacks $20 onto the price, but the person didn't mention it. Now, he put it in a photo, but you had to look through the photos to figure it out. So that's how you can find some value when you're doing some auctions. So anyway, at the time, I'm doing that. So I flash forward to Sunday morning. This is this is when, like, it's going down, right? It's going down Sunday morning at 1030. And I'm, I'm talking to my wife about it. We're having breakfast. And she's known. She's like, she supports the idea. She says, hey, we'll, we'll set up some time so you can just stand there and kind of, you know, monitor the auction, do whatever you need to do. So I look at the auction and God damn it, the person uploaded six more photos. So it means that somebody oh. asked him. And I looked at the photos and I was like, man, that's a pretty nice looking book. That's a pretty nice looking book. <laughs> so what I had to do was I had to up, you know, like I through through selling stuff and through having gift money and all that stuff and saving a little bit. I'd had some money and I decided to blow that budget out a little bit and just figure it out. 
you know, I'll figure it out. I'll put it on a credit card and or I'll sell some of this dead stock like CDs and stereo equipment that I have that I'm just using this as an incentive to do that. So I win the auction. Here's the trippy thing. I win the auction. So the auction is let's just go with, uh, you know, X, right? I then say I'm going to put a number in for my final bid, you know, of X plus 300. Let's just go with, okay? Or three uh, X plus 308, just to give an example. And then what happens is you you then, like when you find out the end result of the auction, you find out what your max bid was and what you won. I won at my max bid. So what that means is, had I put... So by putting X plus 308, again, I'm just giving this in vague examples, right? And I hope, Scott, this is clear, right? When I say X Mm -hmm. plus 308, Mm -hmm. I won by probably $1. The number that I pulled out of the cosmos to to, to, to bid on this auction ended up being $1 more than the top bid that was there. Because had I put X plus 306 instead of X plus 308... I would not have won that auction. And by X plus 308, you know, because my max bid was the bid that I won the auction at, that means I barely, barely outbid the person who had their max bid up there. Yeah, you you literally beat him by $1, and it was an odd number. I think it was like, the your ending number was 6. Yes. It wasn't correct. like, you know, 55. Nope. Or yours was 56. Yeah. And you won at 56, so that guy was willing to go to 55, let's just say. Bonkers. You know? and, Right. Yeah. And and that stuff happens. I told Keith, it happens to me all the time. It happens to me all the time. And it's kind of crazy that it does. So it's a uh, it's kind of fun. It's not it's not like the days of old where you have to try to go to these state 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 of sales and, and uh, uh, you know, try to find, you know, books like that. You, people still do that. I, I don't have time to do that. Uh, eBay makes things way easier and you can still get stuff on steals. And uh, the fact that you won that by a buck is uh, pretty amazing. Bonkers. Yeah, man. So no, I'm, I'm excited. I got a big smile on my face. It's shown up in a couple of days. Hopefully it's everything that I think it's going to be. And, uh, and man, I can't, can't wait for it to get here. So, you know, like I am, I am definitely going to ramp it down, you know, and there's not going to be uh, any, yeah. any comic buying in my future for the next couple months as I kind of regroup for this, but that's okay. You know what I mean? Like I got a grail and I'm super excited. And, you know, as we've talked about before, the way this sort of works is you get a grail, you're content with it. And then at some point you're like, well, what's the next thing I want? You know, but uh, I'm not even there yet. I'm not even there yet. Someday I'll be there yet, but that has to come organically. It'll take a while for sure. Um, I definitely after the X-Men number one. You know, I, I paid it off eventually. You know, it didn't take too too long. Thankfully, I like I said, I had just finished paying my car off. I was I was debt free and uh, just shot myself into more debt. But you know, honestly, it was totally worth it. You know, after a year or so or whatever, you know, because you you said you had some money saved up, so you went over a little bit. Who cares? Yeah. You know, like you said, throw it on a credit card. You know throw all of the money you had saved on it on that right away boom you're left with this smaller number much more manageable after totally. a couple of a uh, couple of paychecks boom it's gone totally and uh, you got that that beautiful beautiful grail that you're gonna go get slabbed and then you just gotta stare at and then uh, wave at people totally uh, just whenever you feel like it totally so awesome, much man. much more portable much more portable than a four foot by two and a half footprint you know so and- you know uh and i think i mentioned this one other time my my second grail that came up and honestly i don't think i have another one at the moment um i, I honestly can't think of anything but my second grail was invincible number one it was just 
Invincible is my favorite comic book of all time. I've said that multiple times on this podcast. And uh, the fact that I didn't own Invincible 1 uh, after all of these years, and then it took basically the announcement of the comic or the cartoon for me to get off my ass and get that book. Um, it's sad, number one, because I paid a lot more than I would have if I just got it because I just loved the book. So if there's a book out there that you really love, make sure you get that number one. You know, go go chase it down now just in case, like, because there might be a lot of other people out there that love that book too. And then one day it might take off. It might become something super special. And then you're kind of kicking yourself like you're doing that whole, um, uh, you know, oh, I loved it before everyone else did. Everyone else, you know, they're just catching up. It's like, yeah, yeah but you don't own the book. So yeah. uh, when I got that Invincible number one, I paid 600 bucks. Uh, I told my best friend, I said, man, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money for a modern comic book. Uh, and I was like, you know what? Honestly, I can justify 500 bucks. If it, if I could find one for $500, I'll buy one for 500 bucks. And uh, within 30 minutes, he texts me, goes, hey, check your email. Happy birthday. And he had, he had PayPal'd me $100. He goes, go buy that comic book. <laughs> so I did. Yeah, man. I bought that book. And that book, uh, that book is uh, on average goes for about two G's now. Yeah. So it's just like, it's like, wow, okay, well, I am happy that that happened. That was a great move by my best friend, and uh, I was I was glad to pick that book up, and I love it. I, I check it out all the time, and, yeah, um, you know, it's just it's just one of those things. Once you get that grail that you've been wanting, it's just this this great feeling, so. No, and, and, and you know, you make a good point, too, of the whole, like, you say you love it, but, but you know, um, but, you know, again, to, to, to understand comic nerds is like, you love it, but is there anything tangible, right? Like this is, this is the collecting virus that collectors get like Scott and I, you know, but like a great example is, you know, Thor had this amazing run, the Jason Aaron run, the Gore, the God Butcher run from issues one to 24 a long time ago. And, um, I remember having conversations with people whenever that came out and, and, you know, like as much as I love indie. I'm not here to take a dump on superhero books or major books. Like good books are good books. That's the number one thing. Mm -hmm. And so Amazing I remember run. when, you know, like some friends were like, oh, I don't, I don't do anything, you know, b big two or anything like that. And I'm more, I'm like, well, I'm going to tell you right now, man, you should check out Thor God of Thunder because that book's amazing. You know, like, and this was the Gore the God Butcher run. It is incredible. I have all the issues. And um, just such an amazing story, man, from beginning to end, just like 24 of the best comic book issues that you can put together in a tight script like that. It tells a complete story. It's awesome. And and so what a benefit that I think it's what issues two and issue five, maybe that have just rocketed up in value because um, Gore the God Butcher is in the next Thor film and Christian Bale is Gore the God Butcher. And that's all confirmed and all this shit. So like those books of Sky. Oh, wow. Really? I didn't know that. Oh yeah, man. Oh, those, okay. Dude, those books are silly now. I know. I yeah. knew they went up in price, but I thought it was because they tied in um, gore and the Necroblade or whatever that thing is called that he has. Yeah. Uh, they tied it into the Venom verse stuff. Yeah. And like yeah. Venom is insanely popular. So yes, one, one of them is, is, is expensive because of the Necroblade. And one of them is expensive. I think it's Thor number two because it's the first appearance of Gore, the uh, God butcher who is in the uh, new Thor okay. love and thunder movie. Okay. Awesome. Hell yeah. 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 That series was so badass, man. And, and to your point, uh, 
I don't shit on good books, no matter where they're from. So DC, totally. Marvel, doesn't matter. I, I was a Marvel zombie growing up. There's there's no hate on that. Um, I do have a tendency to only buy uh, third-party and indie books now. Uh, I almost exclusively read uh, Image Comics, um, you know, pretty much IDW, pretty much any, any third-party book, uh, I read those. So, uh, But it's not because, you know, I think the other companies are, are trash or anything like that. There's, there's amazing creators everywhere. So, you know, it's just, once you hear about that, uh, about a run, that's amazing, you know, hop on it and, uh, enjoy that ride. Yeah. I mean, and, and one other, one other comment I'm going to make too is like, look, Scott and I are, are hashtag indie as fuck, right? Like we, we ride for indie books, but again, I, I don't, I don't want being indie to make it sound like we're anti big two anti-superhero i mean we're indie we we definitely have some degree of opposition to that because we feel like there's this other way we want to do stuff and we want to carve our own path that's the essence of being indie right but i also don't want to like ignore the fact that damn near everyone listening to this podcast first got into comics because of some superhero book popped out to you on the stands, you know? And you know what, man, if, if you're the kind of person where you're listening to this right now and you're like, no, 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 it was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one, or it was bone number one. Well then props to you, man. You know what I mean? Because, because I had to get there yep. and, uh, but there's nothing wrong. Yeah. Like we all get there at some point and that's okay. And so for me, like great superhero books are, they just tickle that nostalgia and they bring me back to being 14 again being first in a comic shop and that's a pretty great place to be absolutely right you know to bring it back back to the main thing like we all we're in this because we love comics and there are so many great stories to tell in comics and you can do you know it doesn't have to be just superhero and there's a lot of other avenues out there that are underexplored and uh you know we hope to explore some of them and we hope that a lot of our listeners are exploring other ways as well absolutely right yeah if you are one of the people that discovered comics through uh, a indie book then like he said more power to you you're one of the few and uh, honestly i've had a few people that i've got into comics and the way i got them into comics uh was through stuff like fables or why the last man so they actually did come in through other avenues that weren't superhero but yeah. like i said those people are few and far between and those are the people that um eventually they sometimes uh, sometimes they transition the other way you know you get them in through fables or why the last man they stay for batman because the yeah. scott snyder uh uh, you know, Greg Capullo run was badass, and then yeah. now they're all into all kinds of things. So totally. you know, you get in how you get in, and you find what you love, and and it's all good. I would I would love to hear from people. Hit me up, hit Scott up. Use the Making Comics podcast at Gmail edra, uh, email address. Let us know what first got you into comics, man. We'd love to hear. We love to hear this kind of stuff, and it's always fun to hear the different things that got people into it, no matter what those things are. Because there's no wrong answer. That's the best part of it. Absolutely right. Yeah, like he said, go to makingcomicspodcast at gmail dot com. Let us know what your first book was, how you got into comics. My first comic book was uh, Alpha Flight number twenty three. So uh, yeah, give it. Give us uh, your your first comic. What got you into books, and uh, what you're into now. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Uh, Keith, where can they find you on social medias? Social media, they can find me at Keith underscore decibel. That is the Keith doing stuff email um, or, or Instagram. Um, I I post stories a lot there, man. You know, like every morning I seem I'm trying to be religious about posting the comic I'm reading this morning over my coffee. Um, so that's a fun thing I like to share. 
And then when it comes to Kadoja, I have the also the handle at Kadoja Kaiju. That's all one word. And that is the Giant Monster Central. Yeah, and I think your book today was a Fantastic Four book. So stay on brand. Yeah, Fantastic Four 203, man. Yeah, totally. Nice. Yeah, it was a cool looking cover. Different different style art. So. Yeah. Um, and you can find me at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, on Twitter and Instagram, and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yep, and KeithRFoster.com is my website. Kadoja stuff is there. There are blog posts there. There is some nice biographical information there. I'll be putting some music stuff up there soon. And as new comics get added, they will go there too. So KeithRFoster.com, there's a store, there's all kinds of things. Um, And again, Kadoja is the main draw, I suppose, right now. It is Giant Monsters Meet HP Lovecraft. And you can find my books at AccidentalAliens.com. Second Shift, The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night, Wanders of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans. Those can be got, uh, gotten at AccidentalAliens.com, <laughs> as well as Accidental Alien Anthology 2018 and 19, Tales from the Mothership. I got stories in all of those books. Uh, 2019 Accidental Alien Anthology, that is the first appearance of my kaiju, which is in second shift number seven so a little crossover into keith's world dipping in my my toe into the kaiju world you should check that book out it's pretty awesome and uh that'll do it uh make sure you leave us a review five stars are appreciated if you got a one star review save that for someone who cares don't give that to us just kidding i'm not trying to be a dick but yeah five stars better five stars is definitely four stars better than one that's simple math and if you're listening this far well then you know we, we earn some kind of four or five rating there anyway. But, uh, I mean, again, I'm going to I'm gonna beat this drum. I'm looking at the stats today, and I'm just like, wow, a lot of, lot of new listeners this week. Yeah, it, it, this is what happens when people, you know, like give reviews. So it's very helpful. Again, like one, one review, one, one good review has us just bump that Apple algorithm and more and more people check it out. And, and you know, we like that. It's great because, you know, we feel like this is a podcast that people should check out. So so thank you if you give it a review. And if not, hey, and you, you have you have a minute, go go throw five stars at us. We would love that. And if you guys got a little bit of cheddar and you want to throw it our way, we've talked about where you could pick up our books. Do that. We don't have a Patreon. We're not asking for free money. We would like to give you something for that money. You get the books, we get the cheddar, and we get to keep making comic books. Until next week, my friend, I will yeah. see you when I see you and what's the how do we end this again how do we end it again yeah yeah